All right. All right. Uh, we're still buzzing. We're still buzzing from uh, recording today's podcast with uh, today's guest. I'm going to get to in a second, but for some introductions. My name is Andreas Georges. You're listening to the Red Bulletin podcast. We're talking to top performers in the worlds of uh, culture, music, uh, sports, adventure, science, innovation. We don't discriminate, man. Uh, and uh, trying to understand the hurdles that they had to overcome and the, the tips and the tricks that made them better. Tricks. Good segue. Today we have we have on the podcast a magician, uh, magician Adam Trent, who is in a new Red Bull TV series called The Road Trick, which he goes through Europe using magic as currency. He does a lot of sleight of hand, does a lot of street magic, uh, and it's it's pretty amazing actually. And uh, you know, people have this preconceived notions of what magicians are. Uh, you know, we were always joking in the podcast, like nobody ever asks someone to do magic you know nobody ever asked for magic but when they're confronted with magic they find it incredibly cool and in fact if you've uh if you haven't yet go on our facebook page we have a teaser video uh of adam trent in the studio doing a little trick for us um anyway we talked to him about uh, about his career about the the backbreaking work he puts into it uh, the humiliation of it uh we talked to him about street performing what that gave him we talked to him about diligence um about what um magic uh reveals about human nature um that sort of thing it was it was a great conversation it was a hilarious conversation uh and uh you're gonna check it out right now Look, see those numbers ticking precariously upwards? We're already rolling. I think we're already rolling, Adam Trent. Uh, you know, you, a, a lot of kids, uh, you know, have magic shows at the birthdays when they're kids mm -hmm. and, um, you know, parents organize it. I guess nowadays it would be bounty castles are a bit bigger, but, yeah. but, you know, rarely does it stick, you know, rarely does a kid think like, okay, this is actually, I see a future for me in this, but it, it did for you. And why was that? Uh, well, it was definitely not seeing a guy perform at a birthday party that made me want to do it. It was, uh, it was, <laughs> I, I never saw that and was like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, it was more so when I saw David Copperfield when I was about uh, eight years old. Was he with Claudia Schiffer at that point? He was with Claudia Schiffer, yeah. Right. And I went, I saw the show and I just remember sitting in the balcony of this giant theater in Denver, Colorado, where I grew up. And, uh, I don't remember him do, even doing magic. We were so far away that I couldn't even see him do magic. I just remember my grandma was laughing, my mom was laughing, my sisters were laughing, my dad was laughing, and then on the way home, everyone liked him for a different reason. My my sisters were like, "Oh man, he was, he was like, he was he was handsome," and my and my grandma was like, "He was adorable," and my mom was like, "He was charming," and my dad was like, "That guy was awesome." <laughs> And I was like, wow, that was the first time in my life that, like, my whole family enjoyed something like that. You know, yeah, we went to musicals yeah. and half the family was sleeping. We went to plays and three quarters of the family was sleeping. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first time that everyone loved it. So that was the moment I got home and I was like, whatever that guy was doing, that's the effect I want to have on people. Uh, and then about a year later. Were I you up, shy? Uh, I was painfully shy as a kid. I grew up with a stutter, which I still have, okay. actually. And I would stutter all the time. I was in speech therapy growing up and... Um, yeah, that kind of, you know, this leads right into that where, you know, uh, about a year later I got a book on magic um, because I think I was expressing Matt interest in it. And it was learning these magic tricks that was like, you know, I would never get in front of a class and talk about anything. I would never raise my hand and talk in class because it was just, you know, bu 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 I would stutter, you know, really, really bad. And uh, for some reason when I did magic, the stutter just went away. I just would speak completely fluently. And still to this day, I... I hardly have ever stutter on stage but then you get me on a phone call after the show and i'm like you know it's I, I i don't know you know it's the thing about stuttering is that's um at least when i was in speech therapy you know it's probably a decade decade or decade and 15 years ago uh it is the most studied uh speech disorder but it's the one that we know the least about so there's no real reason for it you know um i've heard stories of like actors like bruce willis uh how they have a bad stutter and you know between takes they'll be stuttering like crazy and the minute the camera rolls they're fine huh. so there's something about changing the inflection in what in which you talk which obviously performing does that that can just fix it somehow um so i got a book on magic and you know pretty much immediately i, I started doing little tricks here and there and um 
I would just I kept waking my parents up in the middle of the night because I'd read this book on and I'd learn a card trick and I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna go show my parents this one. This is gonna be great. And I'd turn on the light and I'd be like, Mom, watch this one. This is great. This is great. And pretty shortly after that, my my parents were like, hey, this kid needs an audience, but right. it's not right. us at not two a.m. Right. So my dad called local nursing homes the next day and was like, hey, who wants a free magic show? And they were like, "Yeah, well, we'll take a free anything, you know." And so, uh, <laughs> where was this? Where did you this grow was up? in. This was. Well, I was born in Denver. I spent first few years of my life in Denver, and then I moved to Boulder when I was early teenager, I believe. Okay. Um, okay. So this was Boulderish. This was yeah, somewhere between Denver and Boulder. Yeah, right. somewhere, somewhere on the there. highway there. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> pulled over. I don't know. For a couple of years. <laughs> my, my, my my vision of my life is a bit blurry. Right. Af- after about a week ago. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but so I started doing nursing home shows and my parents would just drop me off at these nursing homes. And I had this like when I was a kid, I called it my tour. I was like, I got a I got a tour coming up and it was a nursing home tour. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't specify. But yeah. but I was like, I got a big tour this weekend coming up. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to the Green Branch nursing home, then the, you know, yeah. Yellow, Yellow River. Sold out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Captive audience, man. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. They get there early and they stay afterwards. They stay after. Um, so I started doing nursing home shows and then, you know, really, the beginning of me really performing was when I decided to street perform. And that was uh, probably, you know, right in there, 10, 11 years old. Um, That's scary, though. Huh? Terrifying, yeah, because I wanted to make money with it. I was doing these free nursing home shows and I was like, man, like, you know, I, I hear about these guys making money performing that sounds crazy right. how how do i start doing that and then you i weren't lifting wallets uh no it was hard hand right i, I mean, could have stolen yeah. a few i could have stolen you a could, lot from the nursing I mean, home actually. i'm sure the nursing home actually steals some anyway this is like a <laughs> this is turning into a commentary in the state <laughs> right. of like uh, elder care in america which it really doesn't need to be but um go ahead you you decided that this was you had to get over it so this was how you did it yeah and make money i just wanted to make some money so i i, I went out and i just street performed and this was in boulder at the time we had a place in boulder kind of a world famous little walking mall called the pearl street mall uh not unsimilar to third street here in la or, or things like that but you know a little walking mall where there's street performers it was common to have street performers and i went out there at 10 or 11 years old and i just started street performing and doing card tricks for people and and uh you must have been the youngest performer there. i was definitely the youngest i was getting harassed by bums i was getting uh heckled by other street performers because it was very territorial you know street performing can be a very territorial thing like these guys make their livings doing that and there's just this unspoken thing of like, oh no, like Jim has that block on 14th Street, and Steve yeah. has the block on 15th Street, and then here comes this kid showing up, you know, setting up camp and and you know drawing little crowds and pulling in the middle of their, you know, there's also edit, there's street performer etiquette. You don't start your show until the show bef- before you ends. You know, you kind of there's all these little unspoken things that obviously you have no way of knowing ever, especially as a 10 year old kid. So I just went out there and started performing, and you know, there's some some guys who came up and they were like, you know, get the hell out of here, what are you? doing this is my this is my livelihood and what do you and i was like wow this is not fun but i kind of stuck with it and i and i kept doing it. i got little tips and i thought i was rich at the time I, you know did I was you making... figure out how to navigate that that kind of complex um hierarchy not really you know my parents were with me and and so i my parents were there making sure i didn't get kidnapped at the time so i think that that kind of was enough of a deterrent and enough of a safety blanket to wear you know, it never got too serious where I was like, oh, I need, you know, they, they would kind of come up and my parents were like, just ignore them, Adam. Ignore them, Adam. Keep doing the show. Your parents sound really cool, but They were uh, way cool. I mean, your dad, like your first booking <laughs> agent and then, you know, hired muscle and, you know. That's... Yeah, they are. They've been extremely supportive. Did they see did they see this as anything more than just childhood? No, fancy. Okay. No, no, no. Right. The, the week before it was I want to be a drummer. The week before that, it was going to be an astronaut. Yeah. You know, it was just any other 10-year-old kid, you know, just full of great ideas every couple couple of weeks. And they're just kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll... But you kept going out on the street for a reason. I did. Uh, it was money at the time. It was right. just, you right. know, it was how What else? did you buy with it? What did you even buy? Uh, was it like G.I. Joe's? What did kids back then buy? How old are you? You're probably like... I bought more magic tricks than I did. I was probably... Oh, right now? Yeah. I'm 31 now. Yeah, okay. So... Uh, at the time, it was just more magic tricks. Magic right. tricks were very expensive. They still are, you know. Was, I mean... Uh-huh. You buy a magic trick, it's 35 bucks or whatever, and, and you read these things in the catalog, and, you know, there's like four tricks you want that first day, and you're like, that's, a, you know, 140 bucks right there. I need how, you know, and your parents are like, well, I'm not giving you 140 bucks. Like, we'll give you five or ten. So I would make this cash, and I just immediately go buy more magic tricks and get them in the mail and be disappointed with that they weren't what the description said they were. And But I'd um, that was it. I just kept, you know, kind of reinvesting it in that. And, um and I started doing kids' birthday parties when I was about the same age as the kids. And 
I would wear a silver jacket and dance to Backstreet Boys music in people's living rooms. And um, little has changed, huh? Little has changed. Yeah, yeah it's pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's not really a joke. Yeah, no, it's surprisingly, surprisingly accurate. Actually, I have to say, I dig the white pants though that you were at stage of the Illusionist. That's fucking. Yeah, yeah, that uh, I didn't pick that costume, but yeah. it worked. You didn't? No. Uh, uh, all right, we could talk about image we'll talk shaping about, later. Yeah, yeah, later, yeah. But, yeah but that began in an early age. But why why a sparkly silver jacket, you said? Sorry. Yeah, because I I um I had this whole revolution, which I, I guess I still kinda have deep down about, you know, I remember people always said like, Oh, you're a magician, so you have like a top hat and you pull a rabbit out. And even as a kid I was like, No, I don't have that. Right. You know. Right. My parents won't let me have a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> but it was more so like, you know, no, like I wanna do like you know, I wanna be like David Copperfield. David Copperfield came out in a leather jacket and was yeah. dancing and yeah. he was you know, flashing lights and all this stuff, and I was Claudia like, "That's Schiffer. what I want. I don't want yeah. the, the the other you know thing." So, you know, I was like, "Well, I'm gonna wear a silver jacket." And also, you know, it was just I was you know into pop music, and that was what they were wearing in the music videos. Totally. So I was like, "Hey, that's what I'm gonna wear. That's Dig that's it. great. Why not?" So I was doing birthday party shows, and then I started doing little corporate events, and then I went to high school, and I kept doing it through high school. And in high school, it was this big hush hush thing. Yeah. I was very like. I don't want to say a channel. I like embarrassed about it in, in high school. Right. Um, Ma- magic has this rep, by the way. Definitely. It's like no one wants to say they're into magic until they see a card trick, and then they're like, whoa, this is amazing. Right. But uh, you like go on the street, and you're like, do you like magic? And I'm sure you can relate a couple stories on this, and people's first reaction is like, well, I, I mean, pff, nah, nah, you know? Right, like, right. nah, I'm not really into it. And then you're like, yeah, well, here's your PIN number. Right, <laughs> right. Like, what? <laughs> Just wow. happened. You know? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So, Definitely. but you were experiencing that in high school. I was very like, I mean, I would do these shows on the weekend and I would, you know, at this point in high school, I was renting out high school auditoriums and just selling tickets on my own. I was just like going Mr. Entrepreneur with like, oh, like here's a high school auditorium. I rent it out. I'm going to like get an ad in the local paper and I'm going to go sell tickets in front of the grocery store. And like in a month, I'm going to have a show and maybe it'll sell, maybe it won't, but I'm just going to do this. You know? How'd you, how do you learn that? Is it just, um, you just do it? Was it was just or? that I wanted to be in theaters. Like that was right. the thing I kept wanting to like be this, like be in a theater and perform a big show. And, yeah. you know, like birthday parties weren't doing it. Like the street performing wasn't doing it. So but, I was like, I need to be in a theater. How can I get a theater? And I was like, well, I called local theaters and they were like, yeah, it's $10,000 a night to rent. And I was like, oh, and then I went to the high school. I'm like, how much? And they're like, $120 a night. And I'm like, We'll do it. And how much would you sell tickets for? Five bucks. And there were some shows that I had 12 people in the audience. And there were some shows that it sold out. It all depended on if I could get in the newspaper, which was what taught me about marketing, was you know, like, how can I create an angle to get in the paper? Can yeah. I like do something with the mayor? And yeah. can I you know, do a charity show? How can I get this in the paper? What was driving all this now? Was it still money or was it, was it, was you, were you starting to really understand like the dynamics of being a performer and were you getting that charge out of that? It was definitely that, yeah, at this point money was not like a driving force, you know? Um, it was just pure passion at this point. It was, it was the fact that like during that show was the greatest moment of my life. And at, at this point I was probably only doing 10 shows a year, you know, like maybe one a month when, when I was in high school. And so, like, you know, 10 hours a year was all I got to experience of being on stage. And I would spend the entire month before, like, thinking about, it was, like, split between, like, oh, my God, that last thing was so awesome. At that one moment, this all is coming up again. It was just, it consumed me. You know, the other 29 days a month, I was just consumed, like, reliving how awesome it was. So just every single waking moment was spent figuring out how to get back on stage quicker. Wow. Um, and obviously, the, the bigger the crowd, the more fun it was. So it was, like... I was kind of forced into the business side of things by needing a place to perform and needing people to perform for. So you weren't really busking at that point? No, no. At okay. this point, you know, I, I did it for maybe a, a year or so when I was like 10 or 11. Yeah. Um, but the story comes full circle, I guess, because when I went to college, um, I kind of, I don't want to say I let go of it, but I, I didn't perform regularly in college. I, I kind of dabbled in comedy. I dabbled in music. I started kind of like, you know, figuring out, okay, you know, what am, am I still going to do magic? I think I am. You know, I, I still knew I it was going to be a big part of my life. I didn't know how I was going to fit in, though. I, I got a degree in finance and marketing. Uh, my parents were like, you know, you got to go to college. You got to get a degree, and then you can do whatever you want. And I, I kind of seconded that advice. I, I thought it was a good idea. So, um, But then after college, I graduated. I was 21 years old. And um, I kind of burned through whatever money I'd made doing magic in high school and middle school and stuff, which at the time I'd, you know, I'd saved a good amount of money uh, for 
you know, I was performing all the time in high school. So I, I kind of paid my way through college doing magic um, before I even got to college. Um, and then after college, I was kind of broke. And I, like a lot of college kids, I was, what am I going to do? And I knew that magic was what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how it fit in. You know, the, 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 the previous business model of renting out high school auditoriums and doing shows just wasn't, it wasn't really like making enough money to support to, to live on. It was more just a fun thing. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I went out and I street performed again out of just, once again, zero zero uh, other options. What city were you in? I was in L.A. at the time. I went to Loyola Marymount oh, okay. here in L.A. Nice. Okay. So I went to the Santa Monica Pier right? uh, when I graduated with a buddy of mine. Um, Territorial there, too? or um, No, it was actually like much more Street, organized. Third Street Promenade in Santa, uh, Santa Monica is pretty well mapped out. Yeah. Like, there's a busker, a certain busker here yeah, all And the you time. get licenses, and they give oh, you right. time slots. So it was much more well organized than when I you know, did it 10 years earlier. But I started busking again, and, and um, you know, that was really where, I guess, I would consider, like, the beginning of my adult professional performing career was, because I learned the most important things performing on the street. Um, you know, I'm standing on a folding chair at the Santa Monica Pier, screaming at the top of my lungs to people who don't want to see magic. It, you know, I'm getting sunburned. I'm out there for 10 hours a day, just, everybody's gather around, show begins in 90 seconds, and yeah. come on out, step right Like you know, That must have been so Total carny. That must carny. have been so hard. It was the worst. Because it's like, you know, you're first of all, okay, so you had a stuttering problem. Mm-hmm. You had, um, you, you were already kind of weird about it in high school because, hey, you know, we're, every dude or every person in high school is weird about everything, mm-hmm. but especially, you know, when you have something that's not considered, like, the cool thing. And then you're in this point where you're like, this is all I've got right now. Mm-hmm. This is what I can do. And I think I want to make a career in it. But I, it's all on me. Like, no one's going to pluck me and say, like, hey, we really need a magician tonight to open up, you know, the Walt Disney Concert Hall. Right. Although I thought that that would happen by street performing. I was right. convinced that, like, Steven Spielberg would walk by and be like, hey, mm. we should do a movie about you as a street performer. I was convinced, like, like legitimately. Like, every Who would have played you, though? Uh, well, I was hoping to play myself. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, How maybe fitting. the producer credit you could get would be a little bit more money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Think I was just it. hoping yeah. to be. You know, I figured I'd get discovered. I had no idea. You know, I yeah. was a kid from Colorado who moved to L.A. to be in entertainment, and I did four years of college, which was completely removed from the entertainment industry or from Los Angeles. Yeah, you a dis- whole. didn't you um, study finance and entertainment marketing? I did, which kind of reveals someone who has got a plan. A little bit. I mean, the entertainment marketing, I kind of just took because it was easy. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, like I figured I already knew more about it than than most people because I was kind of just guerrilla doing it on my own. But the finance was just, I was good with math and I was terrible with, with language and... um I just it was just the easiest major. Okay, you know, got it. Was really right. what it was. For so, me. Okay. Uh, other than you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there were easier majors, yeah. but it was the easiest one that my parents could be like, okay, we. So w- it wasn't revealing of a calculated plot to take over. Oh, I definitely had a plot my whole life to take over the world. Right. But I didn't know the roadmap, though. Right. I, you know, I just at the time I was just kind of throwing darts in the, uh, and seeing what what hit. Yeah. Um, so I street performed for a year, and, and I made some pretty good money doing it, actually. I mean, it was enough to live on. If I went out there, like, you know, four days a week and really, like, came back with a bad sunburn and a sore throat every day, I could I could get by. And in the meantime, I was, like, getting dressed up in suits and going to restaurants and pitching myself as a restaurant magician to, like, walk around and do magic through the tables because I thought that would be a great gig because I'd be indoors with air yeah. conditioning. yeah. And I never got booked at a restaurant. I, I would get dressed up in suits and go to Chili's and be like, hi, can I talk to your manager? Hi, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a customer retention expert. Mm. And I do it through the use of uh, art forms. I'll show you what I mean. And I, do, and I had all these little angles that I would try to pitch in and nothing ever sold. Customer retention? Yeah, I had – because I didn't want to say I was a magician. Kind of going back to the thing of like, you know, if I say I'm a magician, they're going to they're kick me out the door right away. That's super clever, So man. I was like, I'm a customer retention expert. And they're like, what's that mean? And I'm like, well, if, if, if there's a delay in the kitchen, I can, you know – make that 20-minute wait seem like it's a two-minute wait. You know, if there's a backup at tables and there's a long line, rather than seeing your competitors go across the street to another restaurant, I can entertain them while they wait for a table. This had, totally makes sense to me. It Why made sense to bite? me, too. I, <laughs> to me, it was like the million-dollar idea. But for you, the most important, like, you need a because people have such a weird association with magic or, or don't want to admit that they like it, mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to almost, like, through subterfuge, get him in with a trick right or like because the trick is the powerful thing right is that the connector is it talking about it like how do you i think the trick is to being able to show them a trick but not saying let me show you a trick right the biggest trick is making them want to see a trick when they didn't 
know they wanted to see one. You know, so that's why I kind of like with the restaurant thing, for example, like I had all these clever ways of describing and be like, well, how do you do that? And then I could say, well, let me show you. Imagine this. Now watch. Boom. And then it happens. Like, oh, my God, you're a magician. And I'm like, well, no, I'm a customer attention. Exactly. I'm a CRE. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. So, but yeah, it was almost like tricking people in because, you know, if you come and say, hey, I'm a magician, I want to see a trick. Who knows what they're going to say? Whereas, you know, I would kind of trick them into thinking that I wasn't a magician. Then, oh, surprise, I am. But that was really cool, wasn't it? And then they say, yeah, it was, you know. at least that's the way I thought it was in my mind. I, don't, I you know, who knows? About I, I don't know. Then. I'm puzzled, honestly. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it was your what you were wearing or delivery or something, but I can't imagine that would have been a problem I think too. The like, biggest problem is that I was going into chain restaurants, and, right. the, and the guy was like, "Dude, I'm 22 years old. Also, we need to like talk to corporate headquarters. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have uh, no, I have no power here. Exactly. Like, yeah. there's, there's what happened to the brotherhood, policies? brotherhood of the freshly graduated <laughs> and unemployed, you know, yeah. or like barely employed. <laughs> it was too much gridlock in the corporate system that I couldn't. Get it pushed through. I need to go to family restaurants, which is what I learned later. You know, like right. I need to not be going to you know I need to no no chains. I need to go to the, right. the, the decision maker himself. But anyways, never got the restaurant gig. Uh, but then um, I guess without turning this into a ten hour story, throughout college I was making these demo tapes off of me performing at these high school auditoriums that I did in high school, and I wanted to perform on cruise ships. That was like the big goal because. My parents went on a cruise and they were like, there's these amazing cruise ships that have these big, beautiful theaters and they pack them full of people. So like these performers on cruise ships get to perform in these $30 million theaters and they have a guaranteed audience of 2,000 people a night coming to watch them because they're on the cruise. And I was like, that's where I need to be. So I just, in, in high school, I started editing these vi- videos. Uh, I, need, I had to learn video editing and I, so I went down to... Community. Like back then it was VHS, DVD? It was VHS, okay. yeah. All right. Oh boy, yeah, I'm old. Well, I learned on VHS, and then it, it slowly moved to hard drive. Like by the time I was in okay like, end of high school, early right. college, right. but I had to learn video editing. So I went to the community access TV station, and uh, I was like, I need to learn video editing. And they're like, Well, you can. There's two options. You can. This is when I was in high school. This is going back now. But they're like, There's two options. You can either pay a hundred dollars for a class, or if you do like five hours of community service, then you get the class for free. And I was like, great, what do I do for community service? They're like, well, you can start by sweeping, like, the bathrooms and sweeping the, the studio and stuff. And I was like, great. I did five hours the first day and took the class that first day and learned video editing all in day one. Great. So, like, from, like, 9 a.m. until 3, until whatever it is, you know, 2 p.m., I was, like, sweeping the floor. And then from 2 to 7, I took the class and I was, like, editing from 7 to 10. So, we're, you're a hustler. Yeah. It was Where does that come from? Super tenacious. I yeah. think it came from my dad. My dad was very tenacious uh, in business. You know, he, he does real estate, he does finance. At one time, he ran a software company from his garage that he was just starting up on his own. When he was out of work, he started his own software company, and then he went back to real estate, and he's just like... Is your dad Hewlett Packard? No, he's not. <laughs> the software company was not successful, okay, unfortunately. I don't, by the way, I don't think Hewlett Packard was one person, right? right? I think that was like two different... Anyway, I my, got that My one last right. name yeah. is not Gates, yeah. Yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. Or Jobs. Yeah. yeah. The, the software company was not successful. But he was super tenacious, and, and I just like, you know, growing up, my dad, you know, uh, I don't even remember this, but my mom always told me stories about how he would work so late in the night, and he'd go to work at 8 a.m., and he'd come back at 10 p.m., that my mom would put us to bed, like, when we got out of school at 3 p.m., she'd put us to bed until, like, 9 or 10 p.m., and then when my dad got home at 10 p.m. or whatever, she'd wake us up so we could play with him for a couple hours. And we didn't know what, it, you know, we were kids. All, all the blinds were closed. We're in our PJs. But, you know, like, so when we got home from school, she's like, all right, bedtime. It's so dark out. The blinds are all closed. Let's get wow. in our PJs and take a nap so we can be awake when dad gets home. So he was just like, you know, I, I, I kind of saw that growing up. And I was like, man, like that's, you know, so I always, I think a lot of uh, kids and you know, especially boys, you know, they, they want to be like their dad if, if their dad's a, a, you know, a strong figure. And for me, I always had this, this kind of expectation I felt this expectation to, to, to make whatever it was going to be succeed. So, you know, I knew if I went the safe route of doing finance that, yeah, things would be fine. I'd get a job out of college and I could work in finance and everything would be fine. But it was more like if I was going to do magic and I was going to do entertainment, this fickle, crazy, ridiculous industry, like I need to at least make it work as well as it would if I did finance. So I always had this kind of like looming expectation that he never even really put on me but I felt like it was there just mm-hmm. because I saw him being successful and having no excuses for failure and all these things that I was like I better make this work you know that was just what you know if I need to go 
street perform or do whatever like i need to make this work that's kind of amazing how was the industry at that time i feel like magic is you know the popularity wanes and then it waxes again you know yeah. you have like david blaine you, you know david copperfield he's pointed out then david blaine definitely um the industry at the time was uh i mean i've always felt there's always a spot for magic if it's good you know there's never been like no one's ever said i'm looking for a magician uh, I mean, maybe they have, but, but yeah. you know, I've always looked at it as like, yeah. if it's good, people will find a spot for it. If it's not, then it could be the hottest thing in the world at the moment and it's not going to sell. So just make something great and it'll, it'll, it'll create demand for it. Um, so, uh, basically, yeah. So I had these DVDs I was editing in college from the right. video editing and I basically made it look like I was on a cruise ship from, I cleverly edited th these things in a way to make it look like I was on a cruise ship <laughs> through these high school trips. Like anything where like you could see like the bad, awful high school lighting, I cut out. And when there's like flashing lights, I put that in there and you know, all these things. Wow. And I was mailing these DVDs out to cruise ships. And finally, um, I, uh, I had a cruise agent that was like, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll book you on some cruise ships. I'm like, great, let's do it. Cause I'm, I've been out of college now for a year and I'm broke and like, I need something to happen like, now. And I was with them for about a year and nothing happened. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to mail these things out direct to the cruise lines myself. And I mailed them out to the cruise lines direct myself. And I got a call. And the guy was like, hey, I've just taken over as entertainment booker for Celebrity Cruise Lines. How'd you like to come out and do a week? And I was like, yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I, let, me, let me check my calendar. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, available. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. My assistant is, normally takes these calls. <laughs> right. I have no idea. I don't know how, how you, you got, got myself. How did you get through? <laughs> How did you get through? <laughs> right. So right. that was exactly what it was. He's like, what's your rate? I'm like, well, what's your normal rate? I had no idea. <laughs> like, I don't know. $20,000? Uh, uh, it could be $100. It could be 20000 I have no idea what people are supposed to charge for these things. I had no clue what I was doing. But I went on and I did a week on this cruise ship. And that was like what I consider the biggest breakthrough as far as like – Okay, I'm not street performing anymore. I'm not like hustling for birthday party shows. I'm not hustling for, you know, like restaurant gigs. I'm not driving over to Chili's in a suit to try to get a, you know, job working for tips at Chili's. Like I actually have a gig on a cruise ship now. Yeah. And it was like an audition week. And I went out and I nailed the audition week and they booked me for four months. Did you have different tricks that you prepared yeah, just for that? Yeah. So I, um, what were you doing? At the time, I, I mean, I was building my own stage illusions. You know, this is like kind of, this is back in 2000, what would this be? This is probably 10 years ago, where I guess the style of magic was very much like still kind of big boxes and girl gets in the box and, you know, a uh, magician puts swords in the boxes and takes swords out and the girl is still alive. That was very much still the style of like at least cruise ship magic, you know, like they wanted that, those kind of big things. So I was building my own props at the time or whatever money I had, I kind of bought a few boxes of, of things and I... I put together a show, and um, uh, it was kind of a combination of things I did from street performing that were comedy bits. It was a combination of things I did back from when I was in high school and I was renting out auditoriums that looked good on stage. Kind of a mix of anything that I thought would be anything remotely good, you know. Anything that I thought would stick, I put it in. And I'd, I'd do a long show, too. It was like they wanted like an hour and a half material at the time. I was only doing like 40-minute shows, so I was like... Was it was it a leap in terms of your abilities? Huge. Huge. How do you how do you get from, I mean I guess you start maybe you need to explain like how you start do you start with like sleight of hand things or do you is it you know what what's the progression typically Yeah I mean the progression obviously when you start magic is that you you learn uh, things that are accessible to you so you start with sleight of hand things with cards and coins because those are the props that are readily available you know you start with things that when you open the book and it's set you know there, there's two chapters in the book one is things with items done around the house one is with you know massive stage illusion you don't have massive stage illusions so you start with things around the house uh so you start with sleight of hand cards coins things like that and then as you gradually start you know performing and start making some money to put back into it then you can start you know investing in some bigger things that look a bit flashier and you know you start putting on you know, it, yeah it just can't you know, but it all starts with sleight of hand um problem is that in big theaters it's hard to do too much sleight of hand you know you can you can do a camera on stage and project a few things but you can't do a full show mm -hmm. i've always thought with just projecting close-up things so you need to have a few big things that play big right they don't need to be big wooden boxes but they have to be something that fills the stage and you did that in high school auditoriums yes, exactly. okay okay so you're already doing that i was already point. doing that but i would do things like you know i get two volunteers on stage i'd have them stand on either end of the stage and have like a giant rope between them you know, so the thing still fit in my backpack, a big piece of rope, but on stage 
stage, it kind of filled the stage. It looked big, you know. Um, so I was coming. With, what, what would they do with that rope? I would cut the rope, and you know, then like it restore itself, and I cut a different place and move the knot down, and you know, yeah, yeah. little things like that that would you know from the back of a thousand seat theater, you could still see these things even though it fit in my backpack. That was really like what I was trying to come up with things okay. like that the most of, or you know, making flashlights appear or, or like little glowing balls appear because little glowing balls in the back of the theater, you can still see that it's appeared. You know, a coin, you can't see it's appeared. So little things like that that would just kind of play big. So um, the cruise ship at that point was like the beginning of my, my professional career. I was on, on a ship f- for four months. I went to Alaska, and I was doing a show uh, twice a week. And so I had five days a week off. And um, I would go. the great thing about it was that uh, every single night after whatever shows were in theater, and that I could go in the theater from midnight to 5 a.m. That was like the room that they had in the theater between when the pr- that night show ended and between 5 a.m. when they started doing things in the morning. So I would go in there from midnight to 5 a.m. every single night and just kind of like work on whatever went wrong, like whatever things were going wrong or whatever ideas I was playing with. And that was really where I developed a full show, you know, because uh, after four months of that, you know, I, I was trying out new bits every single show. I was trying out new things. And how much is it standing on the shoulders of the people that came before you? How much is it about like evolving, evolving tricks, evolving illusions? Um, it's it's huge standing on the shoulders of people before you. You know, right. um, it's uh, it's very long and painstaking to create a completely original bit. Um, whereas there's amazing things that people have put out there and they've made available to magicians to say, Hey, you know, like here it is, you can use it or, you know, you can buy this from me, you pay me a license or whatever, and you can use this idea and you can tweak it to be something of your own, you know? Um, so that was really what I would try to do would be, you know, to take something that already exists. Okay. Here's a method. Here's a thing. We know that the trick looks good. We know that it gets good response. So rather than doing this with a, uh, you know, with a rope, let's do it with a chain. Rather than doing this with someone's uh, dollar bill, let's do it with someone's iPhone. You know, um, things like that, you yeah, know. that uh, you adapt to. Yeah, you kind of adapt it and make it your own, but it's based on the principles of something that's already been created. Uh, how about is, creating something brand new? How hard is that? Um, it, it can really depend. It can be. I mean, there's some things that I've created completely from scratch that have taken me seven years now. Or is it? Or is there... You know that that old adage that there's no such thing as an original idea. Um, it's it's kind. Of, I, I always compare it to cooking. Like right, like you can make a new muffin. You can make a new muffin, but it's based on a combination of ingredients that have already already existed. Like you're not inventing a new kind of sugar. Yeah. You may have invented a new way to cook the sugar and a new way to uh, a new quantity of sugar and a, you know yeah. maybe we're using brown sugar instead. But you're using ingredients that have already been out there. So there's these techniques of magic that have been around for hundreds of years, and you're basically you know remixing and mixing and matching these different theories and stacking them on top of each other in different ways and dressing them up differently to where you know you'll look at it and you go. Yeah, like that's a totally new idea that's never been seen before, but the principles behind it are still, you know, yeah, uh, the, the same. Yeah, the yeah, same that have certainly. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, if that makes sense at all. I I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I thought the cooking analogy was quite apt. Okay. So yeah, nice. I can't bake muffins. I'll so. use that again from now on. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> please do. Um, and uh, and then you know. So, so the cruise ship was a pretty big deal. Um, it taught you. It seems like it taught you about you know um, how to really develop a stage show. Uh, what was, would you say, your next kind of transformative career inflection point? So, yeah. So I'm on cruise ships. I'm doing cruise ships for a while. And at the time that I got on cruise ships, if they would have said, "Here's a 100 year contract," I would have signed it immediately because I thought I was rich. I thought I was set. I thought I was everything was great. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then about by the year. way, sorry, gotta be like a weird like camaraderie or like <laughs> you know like the people who perform on cruise ships. Like, do well, you hang out with them? Like, that what's was the deal there? Uh, yeah. I mean, cruise ships was like I mean, it was amazing. It was like going to college round two. Like, Super you're, incestuous. You're, you're traveling the world. You're, yeah. you're it's like living in dorms. You're yeah. there's a, there's a nightclub four levels above you, <laughs> and everyone's partying twenty four seven. You know, and then like, there's the cruise ship guests, of the, course. The guests are on there going in. nuts. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was just like it was an amazing time. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and you're how old? Like 24? I was point, like 20. Yeah, 20, 21 to 22 to 25 is probably when I did cruise ships. Right, right. Uh, some of the best times of my life. I mean, God, there's we could do a whole podcast on cruise ship stories. Yeah, um, yeah. Why don't you drop we won't, one? But, Can you yeah. do one? Can you do one cruise ship <laughs> cruise story? Ship story. Um, oh boy, oh boy. It could be as illicit as you want. Ooh, or it could be as safe and. 
I mean, do you do you, so? Do people are do people get aggro with you? Do they heckle you in cruise ships? As no, well? no, very very old audiences. Okay. Uh, if anything, they're sleeping. Uh, the, the biggest Got heckle it. you'll get is that you know they'll be sleeping and they, they fill in the back of the auditorium first because they want to leave if it sucks. Yeah. You know, it's like the only theater in the world where like the back row is most desirable seat because you can get out if the show's bad. Right, right, right. You're always like, come close, and they're like, I'm not getting stuck up here. Well, also because you're gonna be called up on stage and like <laughs> right. you know like disrobed or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know that was the other thing. It was like once again talking about things from the beginning coming to to be very useful was street performing taught me to perform for people who don't want to be performed for, and in yeah. a way, cruise ships, even though you're in this beautiful theater. People don't know who you are. They didn't come there to see you. They're on a vacation. You just happen to be the the entertainment that they did not sign up for. They didn't vote for you. You're just there. Right. So when you walk on stage, there's very much this like uh, arms crossed, like you got six minutes to like make this good, or I'm walking out because there's a casino outside. I can hear the I can hear the sound of you know. So so like, what do you open with? Um, what did I open with way back in the day? I used to make a girl. F- oh god, I used to make a girl float. I used to cut myself in half. Uh, you made a girl float? Yeah. A, like a random chick from the audience? <laughs> no, it was, it was a, a girl, that, a dancer. She yeah. was a dancer? She was a dancer, Was yeah. she a dancer in another uh, show? In the yeah, group? so I had to get on and right. I had to cast a girl from, from, from the already existing production cast into my show. That must have been really hard. It was hard. I can't imagine what it's well, like well, for a 21-year-old to have to like <laughs> find a really beautiful dancer to appear in a show. Yeah, I would go to the show the first night and yeah. basically you pick out, pick out who you think is going to be the best fit. Uh, but so which was a great thing, but then yeah. the bad thing is, is that the other eleven girls like hate you for the rest of the really because it, it, they want that bit. gig. Well, yeah, because I mean, I, I would pay them. You know, I, oh, I, right, I'd, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'll Good give you plan. a couple hundred bucks a week extra for doing it, and they're yeah. like, great, I'm here already, and it's this new fun thing. You know, cool. Usually they were super stoked about it, but yeah. Um, and are they not revealing secrets at mm-hmm. all? But um, you really need them as part of the show. Totally. Like you need that. You need the regular. You need someone regular. You can't do it with a different person every night. Uh, you could, it. but you'd have to rehearse it every night. Right. And okay. you know, like to do a two minute bit on stage, sometimes I'd rehearse for a few hours with a girl. So wow. You know, so if I had four bits in my show, it would be like a. F- you know, I usually rehearse for two or three full days with them before doing it. Yeah. So to switch, you know, just it was like find something that works, you stick with it. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so I'm I'm on these cruise ships and and I find these other guest entertainers, these other headline entertainers, and there was these older guys and they're like, you know, I've been on cruise ships for 45 years now and I can teach. You. And I was like, ooh man, like I kind of saw that it was this thing that I could very easily get stuck in. You know, once again, I said I would sign a contract for life if they offered it to me at the time. So I was like, you know what, I need to, like, I can always cut and people. And then some of the like more shrewd entertainers were like, look, like. You can always come back to this, but this is where people either start or they or they end their careers on cruise ships. But like, don't have your whole middle of your career be on the cruise. That was just the advice I got, and it really stuck with me. And also, you know, I wanted to do TV stuff. I wanted to go, uh, you know, and perform on theaters on land and all these things. And I was like, the only way I'm gonna do that is if I, you know, kind of forcefully stop this. So uh, at 25 years old, when I, you know, had everything I wanted, I kind of like just stepped away from cruise ships. I kind of just stopped basically cold turkey and i was like i'm gonna force myself to go find you know a way to make this work on land so i started doing college shows i got this college agent and uh the college agent started booking me on college shows and same thing it was almost identical to street performing i was showing up at these universities and i was not like the cool college act that would show up like daniel tosh where like they'd pack the theater and everyone was like looking forward to it all semester this was the like hey on tuesday in the coffee shop you know like we have an entertainer every tuesday and you don't know who they are and like if you're here then you'll be entertained type thing <laughs> which is really the best thing. so i i mean it Talk was about marketing uh, huh? it was rough and I'd, right. I'd show up and like i'd show up and <laughs> i've got a college show story yeah so like i'd show up to these colleges and you know i'd, I'd fly to upstate new york and you know I'd, I'd fly to buffalo and drive for four hours to the middle of nowhere new york and uh i'd get to a cafeteria and um I'd be like, so, uh, like, is this where the show is? Like, yeah, it's in the cafeteria. And I'm like, oh, okay, where's the stage? Like, no, 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 this is, you're just going to stand in the corner of the room. And, like, we don't have a microphone either, but can you, like, just yell? And also, we we start, we have your show starting at noon, which is right when lunch starts, because we figure that's when the most people will be in the the cafeteria. Um, But the lunch line lets out, like, right in front of you. 
and uh, it's going to be really loud in here, so you're going to really have to project to, like, get people to watch, right? And I'm like, well, this is just, like, yeah. this is just the worst possible yeah. situation Also, you have to perform ever. without pants and blindfolding. Yes. <laughs> is that yeah. cool? You cool with exactly. that? You're cool with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey man, do you want this hundred bucks or what? Like, <laughs> right. how much money would you get for something like that? Uh, college shows would pay a few grand, uh, a few grand per Damn. show. Yeah, that's and, worth hanging out by the where the well, lunch line lets out. Yeah, I mean, that was a well, thing. Well, you gotta, you that, gotta, you gotta get there too, though, right? You gotta get. Well, the thing is that you, you know, the whole thing with college shows, you try to book like five of them in a week, you know, uh, which you could usually do. You could book like five of these things in a week. So, like the the gross at the end of the week would be would be fine. You know, you had to pay your own expenses and everything, but it was it still worked. You know, it was like I could. I could make it work no problem, you know, like financial wise, it was fine. But at the end of every night, like I would go to whatever hotel I was staying at and like question my what I'm doing with my life, because I was like, that was really rough today. You know, I would go and do a sound check. I'd be like, check, check, check. And the guy would like turn around and take his iPod headphones out of his ear. He's like, yeah, it's working, man. We're trying to study. (laughs) And he put the headphones back in. And I was like. All right. Well, this is my audience for the show that starts in 10 minutes. How many of you like magic? Uh, yeah, like this is going to be the worst hour. But the thing is, like, you're like, I'm already here. Like, I have to contractually do this for an hour right now or I don't right. get the check. Right. So you're like, I'm just going to push. I'm just going to power through this. Right. And I'd be doing shows for, like, people with their backs turned to me and, like, no one's paying attention. I'm just up there and I'm like, I need a volunteer. And, like, no one. Re- and I'm like, you want to help? And they're like, no, I'm good, man. Thanks. And I'm like, oh, come on. Come on up. I'm like, no, really, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm not coming up. And I'm like, all right. Well, uh, anyone else want to help? It's just terrible. <laughs> really, really bad. Like, <laughs> terrible, terrible experience. But once again, it was like street performing. I mean, it all comes back to street performing. Yeah. Like, it was, you know, like, had I not done street performing when I was 10 and then also when I was, like, 21, like, I would have quit because the street performing, like, taught me these things to make people watch and make them get involved, which is things like, you know, like, you borrow a cell phone from someone, that person can't leave your show until that bit's over. Right. Like, you know, like, literally, literally forcefully scripting bits to where the audience can't leave in the middle of the show. Right. You know, like, you take someone and you borrow something from them and yeah. and it becomes a 12-minute bit that their object is borrowed from. They can't leave yeah. until it's over. So I would, would do bits like that in the street and I did those bits in college shows because it held an audience, you know. Um, so I did college shows for a while and um, I saw that the guys in the college market that were getting a lot of traction had TV credits, you know. And I was like, man, I got to find a way to get on TV somehow. You know, I need to... And from a kid, you know, I was singing and dancing and stuff because I wanted to be in a boy band when I was a kid. It's a whole other story, but I, like, legitimately wanted to be in a I boy band. I don't think you were up. alone. I think that was just the era. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's okay. You don't need to be ashamed of it. But I, like, Are leg- you? No. I, I like, legitimately, like, auditioned to be in boy bands, though, when oh, I was in college. Oh, far out, bro. Like, like, That's I, a little like, bit different like, than what I was like, thinking. Th- this, <laughs> <laughs> this was not just like a, yeah, it'd be cool to be, like, it'd be cool to be in that band. It was like, no, 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 like, I'm taking progressive steps. To like, <laughs> like, like I'm self-submitting on LACasting.com for boy bands and, yes. then, and then showing up to auditions. Yes, Adam Tread. And yes. singing In Sync, I Want You, you Back. Yeah, you could have had like a total boy band. <laughs> you have a boy band name, man. Yeah. And then there's Adam Tread. It's all. T-Money. <laughs> yeah. And you're like on one knee with your arms like crossed. Right. Like, what? Yeah. Cool. I okay. Should, I should have started this whole podcast by saying that Magic was my backup plan to being a boy band. <laughs> this this is really just my fallback this plan. People would have labeled you so quick, but like, uh, so, so, okay, so, so this is great. Uh, so, um, what, but, but honestly, like, what did, what, what has this, like, what has this taught you about human nature? Um, it, it really is just like, uh, about human nature is that the people who want it will, will get it one way or another. The people who don't want it won't get it no matter what. Right. That's really like if I could sum up everything. Like, like there's magicians who are much better than me. There's people who are much more clever than me. There's people much more talented. But like, I always thought like the one thing I could always do was outwork people. Like, I could always like like do the the midnight to five a.m. thing that no other entertainer would do. Like, yeah. I could always do that, and that would always be like what everyone else. Like, the other guys would always give me crap about. It. They're like. I'd be like exhausted at the buffet at, at 2 p.m. And I'm like, I just woke up. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because I was at the theater till 5 a.m. They're like, oh, dude, screw that. You missed the best party upstairs. And yeah, yeah. and that was like almost more encouraging to me that I was like, oh, like I'm five hours ahead of you after last night. Right. You know, right, it was right. like that, that, that stuff. Um, so the people who get it, well, and, and, you know, the people who get it are those who are willing to take kind of 
yeah, a little bit of a risk almost, right? Or those who are, who are willing to let themselves be transported. Yeah, I think so. It's 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 the like like life comes down to a few defining moments. You know, like it's it's like for me it was like the first show in each one of these new venues, whether it's like the first moment per street performing yeah. worst moment of my life thought i was gonna throw up i was so nervous my, my it was an outer body experience first time doing a show in a theater outer body experience first time you know doing a a cruise ship like like once again like i can't tell you what happened in that moment because it was like it, i was so nervous and my adrenaline was on such overdrive that i can't even remember that moment right. i look back at videos and i'm like i don't know who i don't know what happened to me there i just kind of blanked out and it happened because it was so intense um and it's like that moment right before you go on stage where I was like, you know, no matter what it is, like well, if you're at the top of a top of a ski slope about to do whatever intense thing, like there's this moment where you're like, oh, like all I want to do is not do this right now. Like this is the last thing, the last thing in the entire world I want to do is is have this. Like if I could teleport an hour in, yeah. into the future and have this be over with, I would give every penny I've ever made to not have to actually experience this next hour. So what did, did you develop tricks to handling those those minutes before? Or no, you... it was um, a few things. Uh, there was once a guy, who was it? I was Someone famous, obviously, I forget who they are. But there was a comedian I did a show with like in college. And I want to say Tony, not Tony Danza, someone, I can't remember. Anyways, it's not important. Someone who at the I really looked up to. Obviously, uh, uh, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> so much that so, someone, his name someone very memorable, for, someone, yes, someone, yeah. I'll, someone I'll never forget told me this. Uh, I've now forgotten, but at the time they were like, you know, I was like, this guy knows it all, and I was like, how do you get over that nervous energy? Like, how, like that feeling right before we go on stage, that everyone has that awful feeling where like you don't know if you have to like pee, you don't know, you, know, you have to, if you have to like take a crap, you don't know if you're gonna throw up, you don't know if you're gonna faint, like your your fingertips are tingling, like how do you get rid of that? And he was like why do you want to get rid of that? And I was like, cause it's a terror. Like it's, it's awful. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like that's the energy that you need to like go out there and like, that's, what's going to carry you through. That's that mm. like little, like, bam, that, that, like that's that pop in your step. That's going to like that first step on stage. That's what's going to drive you out there with that energy that you need to make it through there. He's like, don't let that go away. Like you don't want that to go away. That like, like you just need to u- find a way to like, to, to use that in a positive way. Um, and so, Whatever that meant at the time, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna like this is a good. I, I tricked myself into thinking it was a good thing, you know, like yeah, I'm nervous. That's good. That means I'm fired up. So, I mean, that was one little trick that I kind of learned. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we went from uh, we went from uh, you know, I we went from from uh, carnival cruise ships or sorry, not celebrity cruise right. lines. Sorry, don't want to fuck up the brand there but um <laughs> to to like to decent stage shows i mean so you did something you did a show called america's got talent which i thought was odd right well is that a, why why would why is it was it about lifting up your community was it it just seems like those shows are so well so so yeah i mean manipulative I, well so i i did do uh america's talent but not as a contestant so this is where okay. people All always right. you know I, like, I, it's, yeah. no 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 it is it, it, i it's I, uh, like I have it on my website and stuff, but because I, um, I guess if we fast forward through the cruise ships, through the college shows, I got my first TV appearance. Uh, from that, I started doing better college shows. I started doing small theaters. Uh, and then this opportunity came about to do this thing called The Illusionists on Broadway, uh, which at the time was not a Broadway show, but it was just this thing at the Sydney Opera House. I did a one-off, and it became a Broadway show. So we'll fast forward through five years there, and I'm doing The Illusionists. And through The Illusionists, they got booked as a guest performer on America's Got Talent. Um, and I always thought about doing America's Got Talent, but it's kind of what you said. I, I backed away from it because I was like, ah, it's such a wild card. You know, I feel like I'm doing all right on my own. I've already got kind of the work and the jobs that, like, you know, people go on the show to get, you know, mm. to get the cruise ship gig, to get college gigs, to get little theater gigs. I'm already doing that. So I'm not sure that I need to go on that show. So when I went on it, it was as a as, a, as kind of like a, a guest act as on America's Got Talent. So or, uh, uh, with, the, with the Illusionists, the, the Broadway show that I was in at the time. Um, which the great thing was is that I got to perform on America's Got Talent, get the audience of America's Got Talent, but I didn't have to stand there and be judged by the judges and have people vote. And, you know, I always felt like that had kind of a, uh, you know, yeah, I, I just, it wasn't right for me, you know? Right. Uh, I would, you know, but, and so I did that twice, actually, um, uh, a couple of years in a row. So I did do America's Got Talent, but not as the conventional uh, contestant way of it. 
um, which I, I, you know, yeah, probably wouldn't do at this point. Okay, but you were so so that was that was as a result of the the big stage shows you were doing as part of the Illusionists. Yeah, yeah. So okay. so basically, yeah. you know, while I was doing these theater shows, I got a call and they're like, "We're putting together a show called The Illusionists. It's a one-off gig at the Sydney Opera House. Do you want to do it?" And I was like, "Ah, well, Sydney Opera House. That sounds pretty cool. It's a once in a lifetime thing. We'll do it just this one time." We did the Sydney Opera House and it, it like sold out. It broke all the Sydney Opera House box office records. And then about a year later, they were like, hey, because it did so well at the Sydney Opera House, now we have an offer to go to Broadway. You want to do that? That's got to be mega, by the way. Great. It was, I mean, Broadway is yeah, for yeah. every stage performer is the top. Right. right? Yeah. And it wasn't even anything I ever considered because it wasn't even a, a real thing that could thing, happen right? for, for magicians. Did like, you feel ready for it? No, 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 no. no. I, I went in there like kind of expecting to get just like slammed by critics and, and everything because like, you know, this is Broadway. What's, what is, what's a variety magic? magic show doing here and we did kind of get slammed by critics but uh it sold well i mean it, it broke box office records once again it was you know a, a huge selling show so it's gone back to broadway the last three years you know so i got to do broadway you know a couple times it was great how often do you need to refresh your act by the way um i usually well depends what you're doing it for for t you know when i do a bit on tv it's kind of burned for tv um uh in my live show i try to come up with 30 to 40 minutes of new stuff per year uh, but I'll try out an hour and a half of new stuff per year. It's just a half of it ends up being terrible, and I cut it. Do you, have you heard about Louis C.K., what he mm-hmm. does? I think that's really interesting. He he basically he does a show for a year, and then he starts from scratch. Yes, and that is like kind of what inspired me to start creating material faster as well. It's it's more difficult for a magician because, you know, if you think about comedy, hypothetically, a comedian could be in, in a car on the way down to a club and say, huh, oh, that's a funny joke. I'll try that out tonight. And he'll know within half an hour whether that bit is going to be good or not. And if it's good, he's got a, a new 30 seconds. Right. Whereas magic, you can't be driving to a theater and be like, hey, what if I make this thing disappear? I'll try it out tonight. Because you know, from the time you think of it, you have to think of how it's going to work. you got to perhaps build something. you got to rehearse it, make sure it's not being exposed. And then, you know, so you can try something out for the first time from an audience a year after you thought of it the first time. And if it's not good, you know, so it's, then it's all wasted. So it's, right. it's just a much slower creating process than, sure, sure. than just, you know, dialogue. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 of course, of course. And how do you know when it pops and when it doesn't? Right. Uh, you listen to the crowd. Yeah. Um, I mean, now I, I, I can usually tell if something's going to be good. Uh about 80% of the time. I'm right. still wrong about stuff, but usually I can look at something and be like, this is going to hit pretty hard. Right. Or this right. thing's, eh, this thing's still weak. Yeah. But really, until you do it for the first time in front of a crowd, you know, you have no idea what, if it's going to be, you know, there, there's things I do in my show that I meant to be a really serious thing and they ended up being really funny. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, why are they laughing right now? Like, this is strange. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess this is a new comedy bit. Right. Right. You know? So you just have no idea. Which is interesting. Now you're, um, you know, you have a new show on Red Bull TV uh, called The Road Trick, and it's about you traveling through Europe, performing, uh, street performing again, basically busking mm-hmm. your way through Europe almost. Um, is that a happy return for you every time you do that? Uh, it was. For, it was It was really like a refresh. I mean, I was doing, you know, I did Broadway for the last two years, and I was basically, you know, performing stri- strictly in theaters. Sure, yeah. And um, it, it kind of became like very business mindset of, of, of like, okay, we're doing X number of shows for X number of things. And, and after a while, I kind of, I don't want to say I forgot the reason I got into it, but I, but I, the enthusiasm for performing wasn't there the way it was when I first started doing it. You know, I was looking at it as a job and whatnot. And I always thought, like, what if I just took time off and just, like, you know, obviously, like, like anyone with their job, what if I just t- took time off and traveled? Mm-hmm. You know, what if I just, like, you know, but it was impossible time to find time on my schedule. I, I couldn't take three months off and just go travel Europe and do something crazy. And so I was like, well, what if we make this a TV show about, like, me taking time off from doing all these theaters and traveling, but doing it in a way where... I'm kind of going back to the initial thing that got me into magic, which is that when you see this react, when you perform for somebody, it has this like, oh my God, effect yeah. to them. And yeah. this, you know, this whoa moment. And what if like that was what drove the travels? And that was kind of, you know, so I, I put together this concept of like, look, I'm going to take time off. Yeah. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to use magic as the thing that's going to allow almost, me to. Almost the currency, really. Yeah, yeah. the currency yeah. and, and yeah. really the, the catalyst and the motivator for meeting people and having these yeah. experiences. 
um, my whole life magic has kind of opened doors for me. You know, there's been times where I was going through customs and, and customs has stopped me and they weren't going to let me through. And then I started doing magic for the customs people and they were like, ah, come on through. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, huh, that was strange. And then everything from in college of like, oh, you can't come in here or, you know, you, you get in with a magic trick and you're at yeah. the bar, you're getting free drinks from people this. And, you know, you meet these crazy people because you're doing magic at bars and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. come to our party and do this. You can say women too. It's fine. Women. To say. You don't need to say crazy people. <laughs> crazy we all know people. what you're talking about. I did notice in the uh, in the show that you not infrequently when you're doing your man on the street stuff pick women who are attractive to talk to. Right. That's just for the viewers. That's not for me. That's just for the viewers. Because <laughs> um, we, were, we were talking about this yesterday, how this generation of men and younger has no game anymore, right? Right. Like they don't have the ability to, because you're in this digital womb and you don't have the ability to like interact in a face-to-face mm. context, right? And like, you know, back in the day, you'd have to, call a girl's landline man and like talk to her dad first you know and and the whole idea of being in a bar was trying to get her number to call her later like you break through all of that very i mean you would have slayed back in the day and right now you're probably very i mean that must be a a wonderful byproduct let's let's just say it's a happy byproduct it is definitely the world's best icebreaker Mm -hmm. like like magic undoubtedly undeniably is the world's best icebreaker and, um, you know, I talked when I was younger about how I was embarrassed to do magic. But once I started doing magic, it was like, like you know, doing it out whenever people were like, hey, you're a magician, do something. I would do something. I was like seeing what happened as a byproduct of doing magic. I was like, why wasn't I doing this in high school? And right. And like I, I would have been the coolest. It would have been, been amazing, coolest. but I was embarrassed about it. I thought it yeah. would, I thought people would be like, oh, that's lame. But no, the fact is that people love it. Like once they see it, they're like, that's great. You got to come show my friend this. You got to come to my thing next weekend. You got to come do this. It's Maybe just, if you wore like a weathered leather jacket as opposed to like something silver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or yeah. just like, you know, the bad boy of magic. The like, bad boy of magic. Do you think magic and magicians... You need, do you think that whole thing needs a rebranding? Um, I think it's kind of getting a rebranding. I mean, you look at like a lot of the younger guys who are doing magic, and I think they they have. I don't know anyone from my generation who is doing the tuxedo and tails thing anymore. I think it's more of something that was kind of drilled in in, in movies and and whatnot. And now you know, like magicians, you know, like occasionally you'll see like, the only time you see the tuxedo top hat magician image thing is usually when it's a caricature of something in a commercial or whatnot, when it's a car commercial and there's a guy waving his hands and they say, you know, the Dodge Caravan isn't magic. It's, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's really the only time you see that, 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 that guy. But I mean, right, I right. don't know any performers. I know a lot of magicians. I don't know any performers who actually do that tuxedo yeah. top hat thing. Yeah. Um, I'm, it's certainly out there, but you know, I do think it has kind of gotten a rebranding. Right. Right. I don't know though, magician. Just you know, it's it's hard. It's it's just hard. Like with Definitely. some of these terms, it's hard not to have like associations from way back or Definitely. whatever. You know, well, so it's like I, that's why I think like illusionist actually works quite well, right? Like that's yes. uh, that's and that's something where you're like, whoa, okay, this guy. It definitely has been the parody and punchline joke of many TV shows and right. many things for years and years and years. Where like you know, like Arrested Development, like we want to make this guy a dork. Like, yeah. well, like uh, let's give him the character trait of being a magician. Also, that just like that that yeah. adds to it. You know, like forty year old yeah. virgin. Okay, oh yeah, he's a magician. Just FYI, we may or may not have been humming the theme um, to the final countdown as he walked in. So. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know. If first name James. Exactly. Teresa. Shows like that did in years. full in full confession. Oh, first name James. Our engineer is pointing at me. Um, anyway, but but uh, in full confession, I just wanted to. But that character was insanely great. Uh, one of just the best. FYI, one of know? the best. Yeah, yeah. And even though that show's been off the air for how many years, like people still come up, they're like, "Hey, Job, the Aztec tomb. Are are you part of the guild? <laughs> because, because it is so great, right? How many? How it many is people? So but, great. But seriously, how many? I how many? But so, but you see that? Does that? Not... If I if I do magic for a hundred people in America, yeah. about ten will ask me about Job. <laughs> and it, and it's you, about a ten percent. You see, but you see depictions of that like that, and you're just like. Fuck, man, this is gonna set me back like another couple of years. You know, right. like start from scratch again. Yeah, you're doing nothing for our rap, bro. <laughs> right. Well, the, the if there's one silver line, I mean, look, there was there was a just a, a there was forty year old virgin. There was Job from Rush Development. Yeah. There was Burt Wonderstone. Yeah. You know, there was all yeah. these things. Thankfully, you know. There are a few things like counteracting. Like, now you see me now. Yeah. Which yeah. is like this team yeah. of young, cool magicians where they're right. using magic in a cool way and they're and not steal these. Steal shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you got these cool actors playing these cool people. Yeah. So, you know, look, yeah. you know, 
I think with any art, if you ask any art form, like how are they perceived? Every, every, you know, jugglers sure. would be like, we're yeah. so unfairly represented. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. mimes, yeah. boy, mimes have been taking it on the nose for a while, oh, haven't my. they? So long, so long. <laughs> how many people ask you for an invite to the Magic Castle, by the way? Um, a decent amount. Yeah. By the way, we should say the Magic Castle is this. Uh, Kind of like uh, the guild. What, what's the, it's the it's the guild. It's uh it's in Los Angeles. Um, they all want to go. Apparently, my the entire podcast production team is very keen on it. So, um, so uh, yeah, and it's it's uh it's in a house that I guess the 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 architectural term would be like I don't know. It's like spooky house it's architecture. Like a castle. Yeah, it's like, like a castle. It, it's a mansion castle in the yeah. Hollywood Hills. Yeah, the, yeah. It's like a nightclub where there's several theaters and magicians perform, and you have to be invited by a magician. That's right. To go to it. Yeah. And you go there. It's very formal. You have to wear suits and ties and That's dresses, right. and yeah. you get dressed up and get a drink and go see a magic show. Yeah. It's a fun and night. Don't eat at the overpriced restaurant upstairs. By the way, <laughs> his menu hasn't changed since like 19 <laughs> since the dawn of magic. Um, just like we're not gonna get the magic castle ad money i'm sorry first name <laughs> but we could we could get you know netflix for the arrested development references uh so uh yeah um okay so so you do get in asked for invites to the magic castle all, all the time. time and i don't do mind you perform it. there by the way um, i performed there a couple of years ago okay uh, how was the experience uh it's really fun I mean, it's, it, you do like 15 shows in a week yeah so you work like you know three shows a day every day so it's just crazy. But it's um, cool because people are down with it. It's like cool. they go there it's, wanting to see magic. The coolest thing about it for me performing there is that you know, like you, you live in L.A. and you know the performing arts world in L.A. is slim to none. Yeah. And so like you're telling people that you've known for 10 years like, yeah, I do shows. And they're like, do you really do shows? And then finally you're like, all right, I have a place to come see me perform. Like yeah. come to the Magic yeah. Castle. And they're like, oh, we finally get to see you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's so rare to do. It's, you know, I, I've never done public shows in L.A. other than the Magic Castle. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've done a few, but. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. But not regularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that'll change in the future. Hopefully, yeah. Adam Trent, thank you very much. All right. Well, well, that was good. Apologies if you heard me laughing a little too much. It, it wasn't just me. It was everyone in the studio. First name James, our engineer, was on the floor. T. Rizza, our saintly producer as well. Ryan, the Turbo Thurban as well. Everyone was in pieces. Uh, it's, it was really probably one of the most hilarious podcasts we've had to date uh thank you so much adam trent you've been listening to us on Acast. you've been listening to us maybe you got to us via the redbulletin.com uh the home of uh, archive of these podcasts but also the home for incredible storytelling uh from the worlds of adventure sports and culture uh check us out there check us out on itunes if you liked it uh leave a review on itunes man help other people find us um and uh you know we'll see you next time <laughs>